Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Okay, so now we're going into chapter one. This isn't what it looks like. Secret series by book number four. We're on page 15 and we're on chapter one. It's called, like Peyton said in the first one, (laughs) a deep sleep. Max Ernest arrived at the hospital exactly at 7.59 p.m. A nurse watched cheerfully from behind the front desk. Hi, Max Ernest. Just in time, just in time as usual. Visiting hours ended at eight. If he got there any later, he wouldn't be able, he wouldn't be let in since his, since he wasn't part of the patient's family, at least not in the way of the hospital to find it. Max Ernest waved back half-heartedly. Come on, honey, let's get you, let's let's see you turn that frown upside down. Don't forget. The nurse nurse pointed over to the shoulder to a poster of a puppy wearing a red clown nose. Laughter is the best medicine. Max Ernest gritted his teeth and forced himself to smile. That doesn't make any sense, he said. Almost, he said, he's, whoa, that doesn't make any sense, he almost said. How can laughter be the best medicine? What if there's a medicine that would save your life? Like penicillin, wouldn't that be the best? And what if you have a broken rib or a lung cancer or asthma? Laughter would make it worse, not better. And whose laughter are we talking about anyways? Your own or somebody else's? What if somebody's laughing at you instead of with you? Is that medicine then? How about that? Oh, and by the way, dogs don't laugh. Some scientists think that gorillas or chimpanzees laugh, but not dogs, not even puppies with clown noses. But, but... And this will surprise you if you know anything about him. Max Ernest didn't say a word. He just kept gritting his teeth and headed for the third elevator on the right, the one marked P-I-C-U. Every time that Max Ernest saw those four letters, he made up new meanings for it. Primates invade curious universe. Penguins, Icelandic carry umbrellas. Pick icky cuticle up. Purple insects crawl underground. Principles in colorful underwear people I can't understand, and so on. But the wordplay was simply an old habit, a mental tick rather than a way of amusing himself. Not even the thought of the principles in colorful underwear could make him laugh right now, whether laughter was the best medicine or not. He knew too well that the letters, what the letters stood for, P-I-C-U, Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, perhaps the, le- the least funny place on the planet. Max Ernest had a lot of experience with hospitals. His childhood had been one long battery of medical tests, skin tests, bone tests, eye tests, hearing tests, DNA tests, IQ tests. Too much ability, they said, is a disability. Warshart's test, psychological evaluations, neurological evaluations, cardiological evaluations, or cardiological Evaluations, I mean, x-rays and CAT scans. They tested all of his reflexes and tested him for complexes. They'd watched him eat and listen to him sleep. They'd measured his dexterity and quantified his creativity. He'd given blood samples and urine samples, and even once, though he'd like to forget, a stool sample. That means doo-doo, guys. 
That Max Ernest had, that Max Ernest had a condition. Everybody was certain, but what was the con- but the, what the condition was, nobody knew. The only thing that the experts agree on was that the symptom was his cease, his ceaseless talking. Of course, it didn't take an expert to tell you that. That means he he just wouldn't stop talking. Cease means stop, so non-stop talking. A funny thing happened recently, however. Funny weird, that is. Not funny funny. Max Ernest, the talker, had stopped talking. Not entirely, but almost. Most of the words he uttered now were single syllables. Like yes, no, and they came out like little grunts. Hardly recognizable as language. It wasn't so much that he couldn't talk. There were still plenty of words in his head that he could still push air out of his lungs and move his lips and tongue. It was just that talking had become a tremendous effort, even more of an effort than it used to be for him not to talk. Words used to come out. Words used to come out of his mouth like a nonstop torrent. Shouting, shutting them off was like trying to dam a river. Now suddenly the river had switched directions, and talking was like trying to swim upstream when he when it was all he could do to swim in place. The new condition, this unwilled silence, had fallen over him ten days ago, the day Cass had gone to the hospital, the day she had fallen into a coma. Not a coma like you're thinking, said the doctor, had explained hastily when she saw Cass's mother react to the news, almost like falling into a coma herself. Not a coma like you see in the movies. Cass's brain is very active, and she seems to be going in and out of REM cycles. She's simply sleeping. In all likelihood, she'll wake up very soon. Max Ernest knew a coma was a coma, even if it was a coma-coma. Even if you call it sleep, after all, it was not a coma. Max Ernest had looked up the word in the dictionary. Coma meant deep sleep in Greek. His silence was very frustrating for the people around him, especially Cass's mother and the doctors and the nurses who were trying to figure out what had happened to Cass. Max Ernest admitted that he had been Cass when it happened, with Cass when it happened, but he'd never... But whenever anybody asked him what exactly it was, he would shrug off and look off into the distance. Without her coming right out and saying so, it was clear that Cass's mom thought he was hiding something. Why is Cass always with you whenever she started? She started to ask a question at one point, but she didn't finish her questions. Are you sure you didn't? She She started to ask another question, but she didn't finish that question either. She had wanted to allow Max Ernest in the hospital, but Cass's grandfather's had intervened and reminded that Max Ernest was Cass's best friend. Oh, they she didn't want to. Okay. That's and really Cass's grandfriend, grand, grandfather said, no, it's her best friend. He has to be able to come in. Cass would want him there, you know that, said Grandpa Larry, and the poor boy feels bad enough as it is. Look at him. Besides, said Grandpa Wayne, maybe the sound of his voice will wake her up. If only it were that simple, thought Max Ernest, then he would force himself to start talking again. No matter how hard it was, if he thought it would help, he would never stop talking. Not ever. To eat or to sleep, even to breathe, he would take his old condition back a thousand times over if it meant curing Cass. He wanted his friends... What is that? He wanted his friends... His friend back more desperately than he'd ever wanted anything in his life. Tonight, Cass's mother was leaving early. Everyone at the hospital agreed it was time for her to go get some sleep. When she passed Max Ernest in the hallway, she grabbed his wrist and her eyes were red with tiredness. Max Ernest, please, when are you going to? Then she let go as if she didn't have the strength to ask the question. She walked away, shaking her head. Max Ernest opened his mouth for a second and then closed it without saying anything. 
Cass's mother was right. He was hiding something. But even if he be, had the liberty to speak, he didn't have the... Even if he had taken the sacred vow of secrecy, if he'd risk it all and told his story, nobody would have believed him. <coughs> Bless. The truth was so incredible. So... Uh, so outlandish, yet so utterly bizarre that he would be branded as a liar, a delusional at best. So what's the point? It was better not to say anything at all. There was a vending machine right next to Cass's room. Max Ernest fumblingly fed a dollar into it and selected the largest, plainest chocolate bar available. He proceeded to eat that bar so fast, a passerby might have thought he was, it was his first meal in weeks. <laughs> he ate, as he ate, he made a particular sound, part humming, part groan, that only he made when he was eating chocolate, the sound that he couldn't control any more than his urge to eat chocolate in the first place. <laughs> Hardly hesitating, Max Ernest bought three more chocolate bars and wolfed them down in as many bites. Then he bought a fifth chocolate bar and put it in his pocket for later. He looked into the machine considering a sixth, but the machine was alarmingly empty looking. At this rate, he would run out of chocolate bars in less than a day. The thought filled him with a sense of panic. Ever since he discovers, discovered that he wasn't allergic, he'd been feasting on chocolate quantities that would have astonished all, but most voracious chocolate eaters. Ten bars a day on average. If you had to count, and if you knew Max Ernest, you know he always had to count. What, what would he do, he worried now, if the hospital's chocolate supply was not replenished? How could he continue to visit Cass without the rich, ripe, deep, dark zippy zesty wicked wonderful delicious delightful delectable and even electable if he could vote vibrant vivacious seductive addictive oh so attractive nourishing flourishing rather ravishing beautiful buttery sometimes bittersweet but never bitter gorgeous and worth going on berryish cherryish meat yet fruity elemental yet complex mellow yet electric soothing yet energizing earthy yet heavenly melt in your mouth pleasure of chocolate He would, have, he would have to plan ahead and carry the chocolate with him. That was the answer to his particular dilemma. But though he, <clears throat> but though he did not reassure him, <clears throat> normally Cass was the plan-ahead person. Whenever they went on a mission for their secret organization for the Turkish Society, Max could count on Cass to pack for a famous super chip in the trail mix, or super chip trail mix, which contained a portion of chocolate chips so generous that the trail mix was invariable, invariably melted into a big chocolatey clump. Alas, he never tasted trail mix because he supposed because of his supposed allergies. It was something that he'd been looking forward to. But now, his panic was replaced by waves of sadness. Would the, his survivalist would his survivalist friend survive? Cass spent her entire life preparing for disasters of one kind or another earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, not to mention extinction-level events, giant meteors, global warming, nuclear war, and hers was done by such a piddle thing, a mere truffle. In a trifle. Indeed, a mere truffle. She had trained all of those years for a toxic sludge to succumb to toxic fudge. Yes, chocolate was the culprit. Cass's doctor, sorry, Cass's doctor had not particularly been surprised to find traces of chocolate in Cass's stomach. She was a she was a kid after all, and it had quickly, quickly dismissed it as po as a possible cause for her condition. 
chocolate allergies were very rare, they said, and they hardly ever induced such severe reactions. Max Ernest could attest to that last point. His allergy, at any rate, had turned out to be phantom. Nonetheless, he and he alone knew that it was a bit of chocolate that had brought Cass's on brought on Cass's coma. Not just any chocolate, of course. Not chocolate he ate every night at the hospital, eat vending machine. Not chocolate chocolate. Not no, this was extra chocolatey chocolate. Extreme chocolate. Extremely dark chocolate, that is. The darkest chocolate of all time. Max made with chocolate made with a legendary tuning fork. The magical there was no other word to use for it, although Max made it made Max Ernest wince to think about it. Cooking instrument from the Aztecs. <sighs> Time travel chocolate, as Cass and Max Ernest had come to think of it. Chocolate that sent the eater back to her ancestral past. Although whether or not Cass had been had in fact been gone to the past was debatable. After all, her body was still in the present. It was her mind that was gone. As a secret keeper, Cass, the knowledge of the secret, was very was very secret that the Turkish society was sworn, sworn to protect, buried in her ancestral memory. The wicked master chef, Senior Hugo, made a chocolate specifically for Cass so that she would reveal the secret to, to, secret, to Hugo's colleagues, those cunning alchemists who knew, known as the masters of the midnight sun. The masters believed that the secret was a key to immortality and that they would stop nothing to uncover it. The first time Cass ate the chocolate, she'd been tricked into it and only escaped giving away the secret by the narrowest margins. This last time, Cass had eaten the chocolate voluntarily and against Max Ernest's explicit advice, as he often reminded himself, in order to learn the secret herself. As far as they knew, only a specially prepared antidote, a mystery milky white substance whipped up from the tuning fork. Vanilla. Yep. Could bring her back to present day reality. Cass had the tu- had left the tuning fork with Max Ernest so he could administer the same antidote uh, the second time around. But it didn't work. She had eaten too much chocolate. Or he had made the antidote incorrectly. Or he had waited too long to give it to her. Only five minutes, though it seemed like five hours. Or Max Ernest could think of dozens of other things that could have that might have gone wrong. After he could try again, Cass's mother had unexpectedly arrived at Max Ernest's house to pick up Cass. As soon as she saw Cass lying unconsciously on the floor, she called an ambulance. And she'd barely left her daughter's side since. Max Ernest never had another chance to be alone with Cass. Tonight was different. Tonight, Max Ernest was determined to give her the antidote once more. Not for the first time since Cass's collapse, he wished their friend and fellow Turkish member, Yoyoji, was there to help. But Yoyoji was back in Japan for two months with his family. Yoyoji had tried to persuade his parents to let him stay with Max Ernest, but of course he wasn't able to tell them the reality the real reason that he wanted to, he didn't want to leave the country. Any mention of the Turkish society was strictly forbidden. They'd emailed each other for the first time, encrypting their messages naturally with their usual keywords, hint keyword, first part of Yoyoji's brand name. But the emails had only made Max Ernest feel more isolated. The last one from Yoyoji had been particularly discouraging. From, oh no, it's Yoyo. 
at xxxx.com. Subject, Fujibound. Two, m dash at xxxxx.com. The X's mean they're trying to hide it. Oh, gosh. Ewan Gust... Oh, jeez. Okay, it's all in secret code, look. Okay. It was up to Max Ernest to do the job alone. For a moment, as he entered Cass's room, Max Ernest just stared at the... At the tubes going... Out of her. At the... At the jagged green line on the monitor measuring her heartbeat. Eyes open, lips, lips, or eyes closed, lips still. Her face was so expressionless. Expressionless, she could have been anyone. The only big pointy ears were indisputably Cass's. They twitched every once in a while as if to resume, reassure Max that yes, it is in fact was his friend lying in front of them. Hi, Cass, he said, whispering. He said, speaking with such an effort that his voice came into a monosyllabic squeaks. It's me, I'm here. He exhaled, relieved that taking part was was over. Then he pulled the ancient two-prong instrument and the, tun- the tuning fork out of his jacket pocket and located the pitcher of water and went to work. Absorbed in his task, Max Ernest didn't notice that his friend's lips were forming the words ghost again and again and again and again and again and again. Ooh, so I wonder if she's still having that dream over and over again. Hmm. Okay. See you in the next chapter.